May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we are going to continue the conversation with Dr. Brittany Meyer. She is a sleep specialist. We are going to hear more about obstructive sleep apnea, one of the most common sleep disorders that affects people. We are going to first hear her story of being diagnosed with sleep apnea when she was in college and how that had such a positive impact on her overall health and well-being. We'll then learn more about what the signs and symptoms of sleep apnea are. We'll then learn more about how sleep apnea is diagnosed and then how it is treated. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician. I also am an internal medicine doctor, a doctor that specializes in the non-operative care of adults. Also am board certified in lifestyle medicine and, and clinical lipidology. I also authored the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. The goal of this podcast is to help those who are struggling with fibromyalgia go beyond just learning to live with but not getting any hopeful healing to lessening the symptoms and even reversing fibromyalgia to the level of those who are unaffected by fibromyalgia. It is meant for you who has fibromyalgia, for a loved one who doesn't have fibromyalgia and really wants to help understand this so they can help care for their family or friend who's struggling with this and also for physicians who just have never had much training in fibromyalgia but want to learn more because treating fibromyalgia can be one of the most rewarding things you do as a physician. Now remember that I am a doctor but I am not your doctor. This should not replace an office visit with your physician, all medical symptoms and signs should be discussed with your doctor. But hopefully this can be used as a starting point on your journey of living and trying to conquer your fibromyalgia. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now on to this week's episode. I know for me, I got diagnosed with sleep apnea when I was 19 years old. It's the whole reason why I'm here doing this. But for me is I, I woke up with headaches every single day of my life. I thought that was completely a normal thing. The other thing is, is that we came, my sister and I were roommates. So we came home for fall break and she said, there's something wrong with Brittany. I had a short temper. I wasn't a very pleasant person to be around. My short-term memory went out the window that I got 
<laughs> in college because I just couldn't remember things. And I was not a very nice person around it. Other symptoms is, you know, waking up with a dry mouth, tossing and turning a lot in the sleep, uh, in your sleep. Yeah, all of those. It's not necessarily the classic kind of symptoms that you think of like obstructive sleep apnea, but, you know, all of that can be symptoms of there's something else going on with your sleep at night. If I remember talking once, is your dad in the sleep apnea world? My dad is. My dad actually uh, owns a sleep lab uh, back in Nebraska and uh, I mean, yes. So I'm guessing that he was a lot, a lot more aware of sleep apnea. I'm guessing at the time, is that something where did he like listen to you while you were sleeping, uh, record you or that keyed in? Because probably not the first thing that is going to jump to say, okay, we have to get a, a, a young woman at age 18 or 19 checked for sleep apnea. It's often very missed, especially in young people, especially in women. But did that play a role? Was your, did your dad just listen to your sleep or was it then they heard uh, disordered breathing at night or what? what, what well, it, the combination. So my primary care doctor at the time, and it's part of the reason why I went into primary care is he listened to it. And for whatever reason, the headaches that were just happening in the morning and my college, the reason my sister and I were rooming together is because my college, my freshman roommate said, I love you, but I can't handle your snoring anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, for whatever reason, he had just taken or listened to some class or CME on sleep. And so he was like, oh, let's check for sleep apnea. And lo and behold, <laughs> I have pretty moderate sleep apnea and been on a CPAP now for almost 16 years and literally changed my life overnight. How quickly did your headaches get better? After you started sleep apnea and how did, do, do, what do you recall about uh, your mood and other changes after you started? It was night and day. I mean, I, so I had an 8am class. I would sleep, you know, eight to 10 hours a night. I would go to my 8am class. I would take a nap in the morning, get up, go to another class, study, take an afternoon nap. I rotted out one of my back molars because I was going through a 12 pack of Mountain Dew a day. And I thought I was just being quote unquote, a normal college kid. I noticed a difference. I mean, immediately. And even now, if I don't use a CPAP, I mean, I wake up with headaches and I'm a very, not very pleasant person to be around that I noticed a huge difference with it. But it's interesting because the headaches are caused because of the low oxygen levels, which your brain and your heart really like oxygen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's where, you know, another thing is, is I get people from like the neurology and memory things because getting enough oxygen to the brain can actually help with the memory aspect of it. But again, with fibromyalgia is you're getting, when you have something like sleep apnea and you stop breathing during the night, yeah, you're activating your sympathetic nervous system. So you're, you're putting your body in a stress state which at night your body just wants to relax and repair itself. So it's energized to get you through the next day. But the other part of that is if you're not getting enough oxygen is it's, it's like if you're running a marathon, your muscles and your body are depleted. And so it just makes it that 10 times harder 
because your body is just so much tired. And so I've had patients with fibromyalgia that we treat their sleep apnea. And even if it's more on the mild side, they notice difference with it. I get a lot of referrals over from pain management because of it. So great that you got diagnosed at a relatively young age. I'm sure there are many patients that had had, when you look at their history, probably decades of untreated sleep apnea, probably dozens. And this is similar to fibromyalgia where people have, unfortunately, often decades before they even get diagnosed. But I'm sure there's decades and that's a blessing that you got diagnosed actually at such a young age. And obviously it might have, I would bet that your academic performance would have been much worse had you not gotten that treated. Do you remember functioning better academically after getting treated? <laughs> yes, very much so. I mean, it was just easier. It makes, it just makes life so much easier. So sleep apnea, if we had chatted through uh, texting before about connections between fibro and sleep apnea. And you said there may have been a study showing a relatively small study, the impact of those who had fibro and sleep apnea and the impact on their fibromyalgia. I, I did. Uh, so it's one of those that it's, it was a very small study. It was only like 12 patients with it. But what they found was that if you started people that were diagnosed with sleep apnea and started CPAP. If you use CPAP more than the four hours a night, 70% of the time, which kind of the baseline that all insurances and what the sleep world uses as being compliant. Mm -hmm. So they use their pain scale or sensitivity, but the patients that they were working with showed that uh, after six weeks, as little as six weeks of CPAP, they're pain sensitivity actually improved with it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. So interesting. So if people are listening and one of the common ones and, and one of the most treatable sleep conditions is obstructive sleep apnea, what should people, because not every, most people, I was looking at recommendations and preparing for this and there isn't everybody with fibromyalgia should get screened for sleep apnea, but we should be thinking about sleep problems and, and be listening. And often it involves asking the right questions. What are the right questions that a clinician, a doctor that you want to be asking and other doctors listening to be asking, and also that patients should be asking themselves or a loved one should be asking about or thinking about if they might have specifically sleep apnea and behaviors to be looking for or listening for during sleep? So I think one of the easiest kind of tools out there is the stop vein, which if you look it up, it's snoring, tired, observed uh, witness apnea, causes uh, obesity. I I can't remember. And then it looks at like the being because still obesity is a big 
indicator of sleep apnea. Just to review what the STOP bang is, that is an acronym that the STOP stands for. Do you snore loudly, which is louder than talking or loud enough to be heard through closed doors? Do you feel tired, fatigued, or sleepy during the daytime? Has anyone observed you stop breathing during your sleep? Do you have or are you being treated for high blood pressure? And the BANG stands for BMI, more than 35 kilograms per meter squared. Your age, over 50. Neck circumference greater than 16 inches or about 40 centimeters if you're a male. You have a high risk of having obstructive sleep apnea if you've had five to eight of these intermediate risk for three to four and low risk for zero to two. Dr. Meyer continues to discuss more about what to look for. I would recommend like clinicians not always just think about sleep apnea as being overweight or obese issue because I know we're doing a podcast, but I'm 135 pounds. I was 110 pounds when I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Mine is all my genetic I mean, it's my jaw structure. And so I think when you're doing like physical exam, looking at the airway too, and seeing, you know, if you have, you can see the teeth marks on the tongue, or they have just a really small airway or a significant overbite. Those are all signs that, you know, you might think about asking more about sleep issues with it. The fatigue or the, you know, do you feel refreshed when you wake up in the mornings, I think is one of those that is a really kind of good indicator with it. And especially if you have patients that you've worked up with fatigue for other other causes and you can't find anything else, then looking for other sleep disorders is worth looking at. Ultimately, how, if there's suspicion, let's say, Somebody says, well, yeah, their spouse says that they do breathe funny during their sleep. You know, they sound, maybe snore, not everybody. I, I love the conference a couple of years ago. You you said, well, you know, snoring is just audible breathing. I, I've used that many times and it's kind of a humorous way. And it, it's, they're, they are breathing. It's when they, cl- they collapse and they're getting the suffocation multiple times throughout the night. So if there's enough of those symptoms, and I, I like what you brought up is that I've learned over the years is going to sleep conference 20 years ago and in learning about this and being when sleep apnea 20 plus years ago wasn't as commonly thought of, and it's becoming more aware, we're getting more awareness, but it was the stereotype of somebody with a big neck, a man, middle age plus, and now I'm, I have to be careful because you can miss a thin person who has sleep apnea. And I had a patient of mine who had it. And it was only when the wife came in, because I I think I'm pretty aggressive in screening. And all the wife had to say, well, you know, his his brother, Bob, his name wasn't Bob, but you know, well, he has sleep apnea and he's leaning. He looks just like him. And I'm like, "Uh, so does he have funny breathing? Well, yeah, he has, you know, as just taking that history and and it made me just want to make sure I don't miss it. Aren't women more often underdiagnosed than men? Very much so. Um, it's one of those, and it's interesting because when women or women go through menopause, 
their instance of sleep apnea is actually the same as men. So elderly women are just as more like or just as likely to be positive for sleep apnea as men are. I always joke it's because men are less observant than women. I they get in it, you know, the women are the ones that are going to come into the doctor's office and go, his snoring is because men are gonna have more of the annoying snoring that are gonna keep people up. But women are gonna have more of the insomnia more anxiety and depression type symptoms and the fatigue and tiredness that they're going to have a lot more milder symptoms. And I see a lot more of headaches or kind of migraine type thing or complaints with women than I do with men. So if there's enough symptoms or suspicion, or I'm sure you've had people and I've had people who they brought in now with iPhones a video of their partner sleeping. And a lot of times <laughs> the, the person videoing will be pretty obvious. I'm pretty sure this isn't normal. And you see that and you're like, yeah, we definitely need a sleep study. And I'm sure there's a lot of YouTube videos out there of people who have sleep apnea or, or disordered breathing of people, just their partners uh, videoing them at home. So what's the next step? Yeah, so then ordering a sleep study. So we do in-lab or home sleep studies are the two. The in-lab one's a much more comprehensive test. We do the full EEG. So we look at the brain activity, eye movement, muscle tone, full EKG, looking at the heart, oxygen levels, and lake and arm movement. So if there's anything abnormal, we're going to know about it, which there's over 40 different sleep diagnose like disorders out there that we can diagnose off of an in-lab sleep study. But Benefits of an in-lab study is, yeah, it's a much more comprehensive test, but sleep labs should be able to do what we call a split night sleep study. So if you're usually positive, like more moderate to severe sleep apnea, second half night, they can actually put you on the CPAP machine or titrate it up to like BiPAP or higher level machine if you need it to make sure that you're getting on the right pressures with the right device with it. Compared to a home sleep study is... You usually go into the clinic office. Um, it's a nasal cannula in your nose, pulse socks on your finger, and a belt that goes across your chest with a box on it. It's looking at just obstructive sleep apnea with it. The So insurance companies like to do the home sleep studies, but really the home sleep studies are more for like the people that you're 100% sure have the sleep apnea with it. If you have congestive heart failure, multiple sclerosis or MS, COPD, any kind of respiratory, if you're morbidly obese, like very, very heavy, then an in-lab study is actually recommended over home sleep study. And that's just because you start getting into like congestive heart failure can start causing more central sleep apnea, which is your brain forgets to breathe during the night. And COPD is you can get what we call overlap syndrome, which means that your oxygen levels are dropping really, really low with it. So there's there's specific reasons or diagnoses or uh, history that would indicate doing an in-lab study versus a home sleep study. All right. So you were saying that there's a split lab study that they will do, and they're being able to titrate the pressure settings. That's hopefully can all be done in that same night and you can get a lot more information when you get 
that information and it, it can give both a binary yes or no that you have it. It also gives a severity. What is that score that helps measure how severe someone has, uh, how bad their sleep apnea is? So anything less than five is considered normal. So we and look what at is that. What is that measure? Yeah, five is so we are we are looking at something called the AHI or the apnea hypopnea index. So an apnea is a complete collapse of your airway. A hypopnea is just a partial collapse. But each of those events have to last at least ten seconds. And depending on the insurance, so Medicare requires a four percent. Every other insurance requires a three percent drop in your oxygen level. So you have to have the at least ten seconds of pauses in breathing, plus associated with a drop in the oxygen levels of at least 3%. And so we count how many of those events you have in an hour. And so less than five is considered normal. Five to 15 is considered mild sleep apnea. 15 to 30 is considered moderate. Anything over 30 is considered severe. The other question I get is what the worst is I've ever seen. My worst right now, 138 times an hour that somebody stopped breathing. Wow. It's just a, a patient note. I just saw somebody yesterday who has now completely reversed her fibromyalgia. And so much of fibromyalgia is so many different facets to it. There's the fatigue, there's brain fog, there's often poor sleep and diffuse body pain. And she had a lot of the comorbid issues that I've talked about on other podcasts, including ADHD. She was on some medications that help with fibro. And we got a sleep study. It showed it. She got it treated. And what's happened is with education, she has recognized now about a year and a half into this, how all of these pieces fit together. And now she's also incorporating a healthier lifestyle with eating. Um, It's often a catch 22 when you're struggling with trying to lose weight, yet you're tired all the time. Often when we're tired, what does that do to our appetite? So you tend to eat more. And people, if you're more tired, is you eat to help keep you awake is what a lot. It's also interesting. I mean, I keep obstructive sleep apnea is kind of my it's 90% of what I deal with. But when you're not sleeping well, your metabolism isn't working like it's supposed to. But people with untreated sleep apnea, their ghrelin and leptin hormones, which control your whole appetite and weight gain, are actually elevated. So I've had patients that haven't changed anything in their diet or exercise reg- or regimens that have lost 20 pounds just because they're sleeping better by treating their sleep apnea. Yeah, that's it's it's so important and it's so treatable. You know, a lot of people had a patient today who has worsening migraines and the screening questionnaire was uh, failed and the wife uh, screening was make sure you tell Dr. Lenz about your snoring. And he also wanted to go over his worsening migraines. And then I often get this, there's this hesitation and the hesitation revolves around, well, what is the treatment? What, what, yeah. Like, well, what, what do you mean? What happens? I said, well, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's get the study and see if you have it because I'm afraid if, I tell you, you may get skittish and not want to pursue the test and go, oh, I couldn't make it. And they, you know, a year later, they're coming back for their physical and they they never ended up feeling the importance of getting it done. But but I say that actually the success is 
better than you think. Sometimes there's a, somebody they talked to and said, oh, I never used it. What is with, I guess, without good education, what's the success? And without good coaching, what's the success? Uh, maybe if you just have somebody who say, here you have it, here's a machine, good luck, versus somebody who gets proper education, what is the efficacy, the success in working with CPAP? So without anything and here's your CPAP, good luck with it. It's about 50-50. I was going to say with my patients, I'm about 93% of patients that I treat are actually successful with it. That's awesome. And I think part of that is it's not, the other thing is, is that we're making advancements. So it's not all just CPAP. You know, I work with dentists that there's oral appliances I work with the ENT surgeons that there are surgeries that they can do now. There's the new Inspire device, which is the mm -hmm. new hypoglossal nerve stimulator. I have a frank conversations. I mean, the thing that I always worry about is the cardiovascular risk. So I don't want you to have a heart attack or a stroke or die in your sleep like Reggie White did. For those of you who do not know who Reggie White was, he was a highly esteemed professional football player in the United States, played for the Green Bay Packers, located in Wisconsin here. After retirement, he had developed sleep apnea, and reportedly the night he died, he did not use his CPAP, and untreated sleep apnea can cause death. But if you're not in that high-risk category, I mean, a lot of times working on weight loss and sleeping on your side with two pillows to kind of elevate the head of the bed are reasonable options too. And even with the CPAP, the machines are night and day difference of what they used to be 15 years ago when I started. And even the masks are a lot smaller too, that they're not all the huge Darth Vader mask anymore. The one I wear, I look like a Teletubby, but it literally comes off the top of my head and just sits underneath my nose with nothing going into it. And so the other nice thing about the CPABs is they're auto titrating now. So we can set a range of pressures on it. So it's smart enough that it measures your breath to breath to give you more or little pressure depending on what you need during the night. And then we have the capability to have to get online and see you on the cloud. And so we can actually make adjustments to your CPAP machine without you actually having to come into the clinic. So if you are having problems like you feel like the pressures are too high or too low and you're suffocating you need to talk to your sleep provider because they can make adjustments and adjust the comfort settings on that to make it more comfortable for you dr meyer gave a great discussion on sleep apnea recognition of sleep apnea is so important and the good news is that treatment of sleep apnea can impact your health in so many positive ways, including if you have fibromyalgia. This is not to say that everybody who has fibromyalgia should be screened for sleep apnea with a sleep study, but at least the question should be asked. The different questions you've learned, like the stop-bang questionnaire, should be done by yourself and your provider. We've learned today that not all snoring is sleep apnea. But here's an interesting case I had. There was a man who had severe migraines that were happening about twice a week. And he didn't snore, but interestingly, his wife was a loud snore. Her loud snoring, even though 
by history, it didn't sound like apnea because she was breathing the whole time and she had woken up refreshed, was definitely altering his sleeping at night. Well, what are the options if you have a very loud snoring partner? Well, there's two basically. One, you can go into a different bedroom. Or what he did was he put on or used earplugs. He did the earplugs. His migraines have gone away and they've stayed away. So just an interesting corollary about how sleep, even if it's not directly your sleep where you're having snoring, someone else's snoring can have a significant negative impact on how you feel. For those of you listening with fibromyalgia, you may or may not have sleep apnea. It's likely you have some problem with your sleep, however. If you do have sleep apnea, strongly consider getting it treated. If you have symptoms of sleep apnea, strongly consider getting screened for it because treatment can make a significant benefit. I also recognize that treatment for fibromyalgia is usually not one simple solution, but it's a combination of solutions. I like watching sports and the analogy in American football is that in order to score a touchdown, you have to have 11 players working well multiple times in order to get a first down and then eventually get a touchdown. There's so many different things that could go wrong. And recognizing the importance of evaluating sleep is one of those aspects. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Again, if you enjoyed it, please hit the like or subscribe button, rate it, review it, and share it with others because there's many other people out there who are struggling and could benefit from hearing a hopeful message that you don't just have to bear and suffer and struggle, but there is hope to help you get better, to lessen your symptoms of fibromyalgia and in some cases, even reverse it to the level of those who are not affected by fibromyalgia. I also really appreciate your feedback. If you have any feedback you'd like to share with me, please email that to drmichaellens at gmail.com. You also can share any questions you have or topics that you'd like to have covered on future podcasts or on past podcasts if you'd like to have some clarification. Until next week, go Team Fibro.